0: So uh, we are uh, today's daf is Nunhei 55. We're going to uh, wrap up um, the uh, fifth parak and begin the sixth and uh, final parak on the Arba Avos Nazikin. Um This park has been pretty much devoted almost solely to Boar, um, but then the last Mishnah. Uh, mentioned that the Ashur and Hamor referred to in Bor is not to be understood, limited to those two animals, it really refers to all animals mostly because by Shabbos it's clear that it refers to all animals and then it says that by many, many places in the Torah are mentions things like Shor or Hamor or things of that nature it really is un- includes all animals. Now the one thing normally, it's like, okay fine, it includes everything, but the one thing that the mission mentioned that's going to require more uh, like clarification now that we've brought in the category is Kilayim, either Either, um, you know, uh, um, uh, 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 what is it, you know, when you have an, uh, ox and a donkey plow together, or cross-breeding. Because so if it now includes all animals, well, what is the line of distinction between different species of animals? So let's take a look at the Gemara so I'll have three lines down in the wide lines I'm Reish Lakish says Reish Lakish Kan Shana Rebbe here Rebbe has taught us that Tarnagol Tavas U a chicken a peacock and a picioni, which is uh some type of I don't know how does it translate partridge. What? They call it. What? Partridge. A partridge is different than a peacock. Mm-hmm. That shows how much I know. Okay, fine. The says
1: rough. Any
0: any pear trees going around? It could be a pheasant. <laughs> a pheasant? Yeah. Okay, fine. So a a chicken, a peacock, and a at least I know what a pheasant is. Or at least I heard the word before. And a <laughs> pheasant. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh right. It's very fatty yeah
0: yeah yeah that's true. Slav. Right. Slav Slav. Okay right. Are I, we're on Nun three lines down of the wide lines oh, or four yeah. lines now Kilayim are kilayim if you mix if you cross them okay now um, uh, now um, uh, the Tosus points out that Rebbe didn't teach that anywhere in the Mishnah. Rebbe just said that all species are included in the Yisra of kilayim. he didn't teach you how to draw the lines between the species okay so is, you know, it's really like a literary like uh, flourish it means based on what Rebbe has now taught us that the idea of kilayim extends to all animals, now we're going to, there's going to be some real ramifications of this. And now, you know, we're going w- to determine what are the different species, but based on this, we're going to say, these animals, these species which are pretty close to one another, are all considered different species in their kilayim. So now it becomes the question, well, how do you draw the line? What defines a different species? So the Gemara actually says, I mean, the Gemara interestingly says, Pita, it's obvious. I know how obvious it is. No, of Chaviva, maybe because they have different names, so it's obvious they're different species. of Chaviva Mishum Dirabu Bahadei Hadadi, because they grow up amongst one another all, they all they no not mate I think it means that they just um, they live together um, because they sort of uh, n- what no I, well, I don't know but that's not what Rabu means here I mean I think it's an interesting question if animals naturally cross breed, what the footnote says it means that they do breed with one another
1: yes it is. Um, okay. What? What? He says Rambam. He seems to understand the Gemara's meaning that these two species are
0: capable of mating. Capable of mating with one another. Interesting. But Rabu naturally means just that they, that they that they sort of are you know grow up together, right? So, but that, they live together. But that's interesting because they're capable of crossbreeding, right? I mean, if you could imagine that animals that couldn't, I mean, I don't know what capable means. Capable means by left to their own devices, you could physically make it happen if you you know if you if you put the pieces together. But okay. But I hear the point. If they sort of are you know. Might have the poten- normal potential of crossbreeding. That's an interesting read. It has
1: to do with whether their offsprings are fertile.
0: Or yeah, but not only you have the you have the mule, which is a ho- horse and a donkey, right? So that's not a fertile offspring. Okay, the rabu So they grow up with one another, or maybe they have the capability of crossbreeding. Um, so I might have thought that that makes them all one species. So Min It's one min kamash that that is not sufficient to do that. they actually, if I if memory serves correctly. There was a whole interesting question about the kashras of turkeys, because um, you know turkeys is a new world bird, So, we, and normally by birds we say that we have to have a misora. It's not just that they have the right um, you know uh, physical characteristics, we need a tradition that they're not one of the birds mentioned in the Torah. So something that was a new world bird, how do you have a misora? it's not one of them mentioned in the Torah. Of course you could say, it's a new world bird, that's why it wasn't mentioned in the Torah, because nobody <laughs> who was living in the Middle East knew about turkeys. But anyway, one of the arguments, it's actually quite fascinating because, one because uh um I think that it got the name... Okay, this is all just from the top of my head memory, and it's probably all wrong. But anyway, I think it got the name Turkey because it was brought by t- people who trade... It was traded like through Turkish traders, and that's why they brought them in through the New World. Um, but I think because of that name, it led some people, some people to believe that it was an old-world bird and that they did have a traditions around it. So actually, like, there's a false musower that grew up around the Turkey. Anyway, the only reason I mention it is because some wanted to argue that since it grows up together with kosher birds and it lives together with kosher birds this gemara about rabu should that be a sufficient evidence that fundamentally it's min echad and that that would be enough of an evidence that it would be a kosher bird so anyway but the gemara says for kilayim that is not and you could have animals that live together maybe even have the possibility of cross breeding and are still kilayim of course it doesn't tell us where to draw the lines so that will be the next gemara. let's take a look says Shmuel Avaz uh, a a a goose, the avazabar, and a wild goose, Kulayim Zabza. Now that's getting interesting, right? Because things that basically are called the same thing, um and just seems to be a subspecies and are defi- are defined to be kilay. So, <laughs>
1: no, <not a> <laughs> there you
0: go. So la Rava Barbarchanan, my time, what's the reason? Ily the High Arich Kue, one has a long beak, the high Zutakue, and the other has a short beak. So Elameata if that's true, so meaning, what? Is there just like a different physical characteristic? I mean, that would be crazy, right? Then every subspecies variation, because normally a subspecies variation has to do with some type of physical characteristic difference, everything is kilayim? So, if that's true. Gamla pars a Persian camel, which is a dromedary. The Gamla and an Arabian. Oh no, a gamlataya is an Arabian carrier. An Arabian camel is a dromedary. Now I don't know what a Persian camel is. I looked it up. Apparently, there's only two species of camels: the dromedary, the one hump and the two humps. The dromedary, and the other one is called the I forget it. It's a fine something. <laughs> yes, the Bactrian. Thank you. Camel, which comes from like Asia and China and Mongolia and those that area. So that's not. So, so, so that's, not, that's not what it means by Persian camel. Anyway, and it's clearly not the difference because the Gemara is not going to say that the difference is one hump and two humps. So it might be some, diff- some subspecies difference within the Arabian dromedary camels. So th- if that's true, that, that, that thing is enough to make it a different species. So um, the high Aldin kueh, it's the same word here, kueh, which means the beak. Raji I think, says that this kueh here means the hump. That one, oh no, the neck, Rashi says. This is a thick neck. The high cutting and the other one has a thin neck. So hachinami davi kilayim zevi Will you also say it's kilayim? And that's absurd. I don't know how that's more absurd than the geese. But somehow the gemara knew that that couldn't be. Like how far are you going to take this? Any subspecies with a slightly different physical attribute? Atro- at, you know, attribute. So the gemara says el bai. So it says bai zevi of of No, the difference is that in one of it, the um, uh, uh, getting back to the, the geese, right? You know, the testicles are on the inside, and the other they're on the outside. So that's seen as presumably maybe that's significant because that's, you know, the uh, relating to the mating, right? And relates to, so, the idea of the procreation. So maybe that's more significant because it's a sexual characteristic and that makes a, differ- a difference, okay? But again, like, it doesn't tell us broad principles. I remember somebody wrote a very, I have to dig it up, but, you know, some scientist wrote a whole big article going through Meseches Kilayim and the you Mishnayas know, and, the and these Gemaras and whatever and trying to figure out like any tries attempt at some systematic, you know, you know, different, the definition of what are different species for Chazal for Kilayim. I think in the end he wasn't able to come up with anything. <laughs> anyway, so the Gemara says like this, but here at least it's something that's seen as, you know, significant, and again, maybe specifically because it's a sexual characteristic. Okay, so the Gemara says like this, for hi to una and here again is a sexual or procreative difference hi to una again going these different geese to one of them carries one egg in its cluster the high to una the other carries multiple eggs in its cluster so you know as it's laying them it could have multiple eggs inside that it's sort of dropping them you know sequentially but it doesn't have to it doesn't like only sort of like start uh, uh, hibernating or whatever it's called growing that's the wrong word anyway developing the other egg inside of its body, only after one of them is laid, it can do them multiple at the same time. So again, it seems like things that are different in terms of sexual or procreative characteristics are particularly significant. Um, um, okay. So says shakish. shabiyam. Remember, we said that kobahem includes all animals, and we included birds, right? You might remember we included birds. What we did not explicitly address was the issue of fish, right? So, are you allowed to work your fish on Shabbat? So <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Minim shabiyam is not just limited to fish. It could also include, like, mammals in the sea or whatever. You know, dolphins. Can you get your, I don't know, if you've got tame dolphins, can you get them to pull a boat on Shabbos or something? So, now we're talking about if you crossbreed. So, toses makes the point of saying, Marbia here, we have to be talking not about fish, because fish are, don't have sexual reproduction. We're talking about, like, you know, mammals. You know, some type of sea mammals. Okay? Um, so, minim Shibiyam, if you cross breed two types of sea, uh, the animals. Loke, you get lashes. My time, what's the reason? Because it says by you know, by the by the um, uh, by the dry animals, by the, animals of the dry lands it says well, well, hold on what's the see Rashi Rashi says, uh I don't know, does Rashi claim that? Um, so yeah. Um, so it says, right? It says by the by by Maise It says that you know God created these animals liminehu, each one according to their species. And it says that also by the fish that they were created liminehu, which is an indication that they need to keep by their separate species. So since we know that there's an iser of Kilayim by the dry animal, by the animals of the land, because there it says the or tabia it's very interesting, you know, because what we're doing here is there's no explicit pasuk in the in the story of Brachis where it says you. Have an, like an obligation to keep these to their separate species. Um, so it's not just the fact that it uses the word liminehu is a sufficient basis for inferring a prohibition of crossbreeding. Tosus actually here have here a discussion: Are we to infer from this that b'nai Noach are usur to crossbreed? Because there actually is a debate in the Gemara whether seven b'nai Noach include, or you know, would be more than seven, but include the issue of crossbreeding based on the word liminehu. So is the word liminehu enough by itself to say you must keep these? Animals liminehu, and so does not necessarily. If there's no prohibition, then God just created them liminehu. It doesn't say you have to keep that. But now what we're doing is, and this is really I always find like interesting, like it's sort of like you know when theology sort of intersects with halacha. You have a process that describes like masa e God created liminehu. That doesn't tell you you have to keep things that way. Then you got this other process that says don't crossbreed. Okay, well don't crossbreed. What should be the scope of that? Okay, <laughs> (laughs) Don't cross eat animals, right? And even has a word that says animals, like behemtucha, which are like terrestrial animals. But it tells you, well, what's the scope of that? Well, if you look back in this totally non-halachic section of the Torah about Masabreshis, it says there's an idea of keeping every animal to its own species. Oh, so let's figure out that when it says it means, not only land animals, it means even fish, because we're told in Masabreshis that fish are created limineu. So I think that's really interesting, you know, in terms of how that sort of almost like this theological, you know, sort of uh, uh, narrative, here, you know, is, is influencing is, is to the scope of a mitzvah. It's interesting, you know, nowadays also because people ask about questions about um, what do you call it, like cloning and those types of issues um, and, uh, you know, and some people say like, you know, want to learn inferences from my separation and this whole idea of Limineu about creating new species and is that forbidden, you know, and so on. And again, that's like a straight theological argument because there's no exact, you know, they're not trying to plug it in to any prohibition. They're just trying to tell you you know, the type of theology that's expressed in those psukim should be indicating that you like you shouldn't be creating new species, okay, but that's like just the theology argument by itself here it's sort of intersecting with a clear prohibition of crossbreeding with, as Michael correctly says, has a very concrete word, behemtecha, and we're going to broaden it based on the psukim of liminehu yes, Rabbi Do. so, the, the verb lahardiyah is not intrinsically a negative
1: word, to means to
0: um, Larbia, I think, just means... Normally, I think it means just the actual act of copulating animals. I, I don't even know if it means, it means crossbreeding. Um, so
1: it's just a verb that describes the sexual act. Act of
0: animals. animals, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it doesn't mm-hmm. even mean crossbreeding, yeah, yeah. Is there... Is
1: there the actual
0: crossbreeding, or is it to get of from a? No, it is no. It's the crossbreeding. The only thing that you keep. First of all, they use mules widespread in the ancient world, right? Have you ever you eaten a? Just last night, I ate for the first time I think in my life. Although I didn't make a shachianu, it wasn't such a big deal. A pluot, I don't know, pluot, a plum and a. An, look at that! Uh, did you make a shachianu? T- no, you had the them before. Anyway, what is so what? It's a plum right. and an apricot. I, I prefer each one individually. I'll tell you anyway <laughs> um, um, but uh, so we constantly benefit from kilayim the only kilayim you can't actually benefit from is um, is, is kilayakerem when it's with uh, when, when it's with the vine you're also not allowed to wear obviously shatnes but you know but fundamentally the kilayim iser is not to the drive benefit but it's to do the act of crossbreeding it's interesting use questions use you know the things that like it's an interesting question well I'm totally going off topic now but like Buster bacholov right of is that we constantly focus on don't eat them together but the Torah says don't cook them together. Is that fundamentally like an Isra Kilayim? Like the Torah doesn't want you to cook them together and as a result don't eat it. But it doesn't focus on the Isra of eating. Anyway, so Kilayim fundamentally focuses on the Isra of the bringing of the together not of the benefiting from the product. Okay. So you
1: can't tell somebody else do this this Kilayim for me or something
0: like that. Um, Well, that's a general question of, you know, of uh, like well, about like, I mean, if it's a Jew, then it's Messiah or whatever. It's Machia, If it's a non-Jew, there's a more general question in the Gemara of is there a mirror logoi by generally surim that are not like, not Shabbos and so on. So, yeah. But if my horse okay. is
1: my donkey decided I don't have to stop them, right? Well, correct. No, <laughs> correct. No, yes, correct. I mean, we can't make, you know. Right, correct. He's I mean, only actively making the horses. Right,
0: right. right that's yeah. correct. I mean, that would be a good question. You Could you have somebody to breed mules for you? So, that's the Gemara's question. I mean, even a non-Jew, whether. Whether the serum of uh, well first of all there's a question whether non Jews are prohibited in in uh in Kilayim and then it's a question about whether the Isra of Amir Lagoy applies more broadly. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Um Okay. It says by the dry animals in Braces and it says by the by the by the animals of the sea. By Rukhava. Rahava asked. if somebody causes like uh, you know a uh, a, 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 a goat and a shivuta which is some type of a fish mm-hmm. I do not know how your fish and your goat are going to both like draw a, a wagon or something or you know which is he what they're doing the on, the I don't understand <laughs> how you get like what do you do you get like a rope that's around the, same, the fish
1: that's the same word from Shabbos with one of those yeah. one of the Amorayim were like preparing to shivuta. a shivuta
0: I mean if it's, a, if it's a dolphin I understand you can get a dolphin you put some rope around a dolphin you get it to draw you know to draw some. to a what? you know Pull a wagon no, or something.
1: Streets, no,
0: well you have, no, you're walking by the edge of the water. No. Okay, Canal. you're walking by the edge of the river, the canal, with your dolphin in the canal. Anyway, somehow you got this going on with your fish. You're having them both together pull some type of a wagon, okay, or something of that nature. What what? Right? What you it doesn't it doesn't right, mean, it does have a union. Okay. Ma, <laughs> what do we say? Miyam Rina, do we say, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, uh, goat is never gonna go into the, um, um, into into the into the ocean and the chivuta is never going to come up to the dry land lo it. You're not really draw, having them draw together because they're not in the same space. They're in separate spaces. Okay. Um, so uh, lo it. Ovion. What do we say? Hashem kamani. Nevertheless, here now you're having them both sort of draw something together. You know the, that's the prohibition of the, uh, having of kilayim, not crossbreeding, but having animals together like you know draw low together. Um, so mas la ravina. Let me if you say that Let's say you put a barley and a wheat uh seed in your hand. Vizarrachitabarat's or bacheloret. And the and the wheat seed fell on in art israel, and the barley seed fell a half an inch over, right over the line in Chutzlaret. So would you say, Hakinami Khairi Hiving Kilaim, only hiving kilay and it's also draw a button in Chutzarz, but we only hive rice in Er Israel? Clearly because they're on two sides of the line that divides them here too. So as much as Ami Hakiash, what type of answer is that? Eretz um, The sea in Chutzlaretz is in a place where you're not prohibited, so of course you're not Half of the act was done in a place where there's no prohibition. Um, you just got through telling me that you can't do Kilayim of animals in the uh, of sea animals. So the water is a place where the serum of Kilayim apply. So if you have one animal in the water and one on the land, maybe they should be doing Kilayim, even though they can't ever get into the same zone. Okay. That was a slightly humorous.
1: <laughs> I can use my you can
0: not use your Shibuta to draw your wagon. Yes.
1: You learn from this that Ravina did not learn the art of annoying questions from Ravir. Mio. There
0: you go. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Moving on. Father, we now transition, we now transition from a Peric devoted to uh, to Wells, uh, to, to bore, to Pitts, to a Peric where the first one is going to be sort of get us back to Shane and Rego, but a lot of this Peric is going to be devoted to Aish, okay? So if you think about it, it was sort of like, you know, we had way in the beginning Shane and Rego, right? You remember those early Prakim, you know, Kate regel Rego, etc. Then we had a whole middle section devoted to the ox to the Goringa, and the short Shanagach and the Kofer. We had Adam Amazek was sort of like scattered in, particularly about the person who fell, remember all the people running into each other and was just a robin and hitting each other and tripping over each other and so on. Um, so Adam Amazek was sort of scattered in, but we had like Shane and Rego, we had sure, we have now had Boar, and this parak is going to be h, ok but the first mission of this parak not exactly clear why we're doubling back and we're talking about the level of Shmira required for Shane and Rego so you might remember we had a mission about the level of Shmira for a, for a goring ox remember Kashubal of Moseran that whole weird position of reb Yehuda higher level of Shmira for tom than for a Muad all those interesting positions then we had the mission about Kiso Karoi by the well right one guy covered it the other guy passed over it right and what happened with the camels and the cows and the whole thing so now we're doubling back and talking about the level of shmira required for Shane and regel. let's take a look okay hakonis tson ladir somebody brings his sheep into the pen the na'lbifaneha karoi and locks in front of it appropriately it's always this generic word in the Mishnah Kisel karoi na'lifaneha karoi like please tell me what karoy is you know so presumably what seems to be whatever the standard is minimum standard see. And it goes out and it damages. potza. you're exempt. Okay? Once you did your level of Shmira, you are exempt. There's a bit of a chidosh here because by the shore and the by the Karen and by the uh, boar, it says, right? It says, by, right, remember by both those, it says, uh, by the shore, what does it say by the, by the boar? It says, it says, by Shane and regel, which are pretty hidden in the Torah anyway, we learned that it never says you didn't watch it. So there's actually a chiddush. If you watch it, you're exempt. Okay, so if you did the watching and it got out, you're exempt. Lo enough if you did not watch it appropriately okay and it went out you're liable now this is if you watched it correctly and it did break out at night or it was uh, or if it was uh, taken out by uh, by bandits the you're exempt now how is that telling you something more than you've already told me
1: if it's nifer it's on it what does it mean if
0: it's at night or at day okay so that's a different way of asking but why are you telling me that you didn't tell me before but you told me you watched it appropriately so one answer gets to what Michael's point is to tell me that even if you did it correctly if it broke out in the daytime then uh, you might be liable if we can assume that you should have by this stage have heard about it and you have an opportunity to do something about it. Tosos also says the flip which is a very interesting thing about being sort of uh, accommodating you know human weakness. He says if you heard about it in the middle of the night you're exempt even if you did hear about it in the middle of the night. Nobody is expecting you maybe if you've got a goring ox on the loose it's different. Okay but nobody is expecting you at 2 a.m. to run after your sheep, okay, that are wandering and maybe eating from somebody else's fields. Which is interesting, right? How ha- to what degree the level of shmirah is not just defined objectively by preventing the likelihood of certain damage, but it's mod- modulated by what is, norm- what is normal to expect from people. Like There's a phrase the Gemara sometimes talks about, shamro Kidera HaShomrim. You did what the norm was. It might not really have covered all possibilities, but you did what was normally demanded. Okay? So that's a nice idea that even if you hear about it in the middle of the night, nobody is demanding that you go and, and, and get up in the middle of the night to do something about it. Yes. I
1: also mean to go AM, right?
0: Well, that's I true. Like you mean not
1: supposed to put in danger.
0: Right, that's true. But Tosus, I mean but that's less of a chirish. Tosus says lo atrihuhu. They didn't even make you like go to the effort of doing it, you know. Right. And even that you be is enough to exempt you. Now that yet so if you least him is another chirish, because that says that even if the bandits that we're gonna see in a minute, that as long as the bandits didn't physically take possession of it if they just broke it the fence in order because they were either trying to sneak into your house to get something and the animals wandered off maybe if they were trying to get the animals to come out but they didn't actually do a kinyan to take possession of the animals. The chiddush is that the listim are also exempt. Okay, they don't they don't become the Listim animals either. Okay, now. That's if Vizika, That's partzu at listim Vizika yotzevizika potter. U listim if the listim actually physically removed them and thereby took possession, then listim chayavim. They become obligated, even though they don't own them. They're only like a over them. But nevertheless, as we know, like of the family way a shomer when he takes it into his possession takes. Responsibility. of as well, when they take it and they get an ownership, which is known as a certain type of and Geneva, and they are the de facto people, you know, people that have possessed it and control it, they become liable for things it does. So if they just broke the fence and it went out and damaged, they're exempt. If they took it out, they're liable. Okay? Now let's say you locked the fence properly, but it was right there in the middle of the blazing August sun. Okay? Or you gave it to a chayur shot. In that case, you can't say, hey, I did my job. I I locked the fence. You leave the animal in the middle of a blazing sun, it's going to look for a way to escape. Okay? And also are not sufficient ways of watching it. In that case, if you gave it over to a shepherd, then it becomes the shepherd's responsibility. Let's say it accidentally fell into a garden. You were walking by a uh, Rishos Harabim and a high High level, and it fell off, and rolled down a cliff, and which just robbed him, and landed into somebody's garden. So you're an honest, okay? You're not liable, but nevertheless, so then. But it got it got benefit. Maybe it uh, landed, and it's you know it cushioned its fall on some of the fruit in the other person's yard. You don't have to pay for nezek, but you have to pay for the benefit that you received. That's a concept that we've seen before, which we can, if you might remember, the animal that eats fruit in Rishisarabim, people remember that? So you're put to for nezek in Rishisarabim, but the objective reality that your animal got benefit, you have to pay the guy back for giving your animal, like, you know, lunch. Okay. So, yoda kedarka because if it just by its own went into this guy's yard, so that's a classic Shane versus And the damage, then you pay for the actual damage. Case of mishalem es How do you pay the amount of damage? Um, Now, the reason to ask this question is, is because it's not like it's eating some independent object, like eating some fruit in a basket. It's eating fruit that's that's growing in a yard. You know, it's eating wheat in the yard. So, what? How do you assess like? you know how to figure out the damage so Yafa, Shaman so you take a look at a which I'll just call an acre I don't know what it is but it's some unit of land and you say how much was this acre worth before the animal ate this grain and how much is it worth after right because then when you look at it in the context of a much larger value and of a whole field if the field doesn't get devalued directly based on the loss of the actual value of the grain right so sort of I like was giving the example when I think we did this a while ago in the flip, like when you go ahead and you, uh, you make home improvements, right? It could cost you like $25,000 to make home improvements, it only increases the value of your house by like $5,000 or something, right? So, uh, so the reality is that when you assess something based on some things of much larger value, the difference in the actual cost of that one object gets a little discounted. So if you're actually to say, how much was the grain worth before and after, you'd be paying sort of the full value of the destroyed grain. But you're asking how much was the sealed worse, it's going to be less. Now one of the reasons that you might say that, is the Gemara is going to say, it learns it from a Pasuk. Ubi'er it consumes in another field. It says, You assess the value based on the value of the field. One way of understanding that is not is that it's actually saying that the bid biste'achher doesn't just mean where it's doing the damage, but what you view of as the object that was damaged. It consumes another field. So the thing that's being damaged is the field, not the grain. So if you look at it like it damaged my field rather than it damaged my grain, you assess the difference in the value of the field. Um... Okay, for Shimon Omer, B'shimon says, When you assess it in terms of the field, not, to, not every time something is growing, only if it's growing and it hasn't been sort of, you know, fully ripened. But once the fruit is fully ripened, ready to be harvested, then even though it's still attached, you there don't look like it's damaging the field, you look like it's damaging the fruit. And you assess it in terms of the fruit. So if it was a bushel of grain and the grain was ready to be harvested, you ask, how much is a bushel of grain worth. If it's two bushels, you ask two bushels. You don't ask how much was the field worth before and after. So a lot of different things in this Mishnah, sort of like wrap up stuff about Shane Varegel, moving from protecting it, which was issues that we saw before about the shore and the boar, we saw that recently, to this question of Nenis, and to this question, which is also seen in a different context, you know, this whole issue of listim and the role and the and Roa and shomer who takes responsibility. We also saw that about the goring ox, about the shomer who takes responsibility. And then finally, the question about how do you assess the damage? Okay, let's take a look at the Gemara. A of Rabbanon, a rabbi's talk. Uh, thank you very much what is considered to be a sufficient protecting of the animal and not sufficient okay if it's a a a door a fence that can withstand normal types of winds and you could like abstract that idea normal types of occurrences okay so that is that's an appropriate guarding of the animal if it can't withstand normal winds normal types of things that might happen. That's not karoy. Of course, then of course, a little bit it just displaces the question of how do you define mitsuya, you know. But we get at least we're starting to get an idea. You
1: know, so also nice that ruach mitsuya is a stock phrase. Mm-hmm. It's already a category. You right. There's some subjectivity to it. Right. Right. In other words, like locking the door, Karahuwiy is not
0: necessarily clear. Not right. Right. So just, right. That, that's what's right. Saying. Realistically, it does become this more abstract. Right. Sort of this more abstract yeah. standard. Yeah. Right. Exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So um, now. Okay, so basically it means you have, that's considered to be minimal shmirah. okay? Less than Ruach Mitsuya is considered Pshia, gross negligence, okay? Now, you could do it more, you could stop things from being gross negligent and still not have made, you know, sort of done a full shmirah that would prevent anything from going wrong. So basically what we're saying here is that a minimum shmirah is acceptable. Okay, that's the idea of Ruach Mitsuya. So the Gemara now wants to see how does this match up with the other level of shmirah that we've known, that we've come to learn here from the other things. So let's take a look. So the Gemara says like this. Now remember, a shane and a rego are a muad. They are considered habitual. Okay? Now they're not like a sure that might be, I mean, it depends on what type of a shore muad you have. Like you can imagine a mu'ad by a Karen that is like has this vicious nature and is looking to break out and is looking to go find animals to attack them. But I imagine even most shores that are a mu'ad for for a Nagichot means that when they see another animal or they see something that enrages them. It doesn't mean that if they're at home and they're, you know, guarded in their, you know, in their fence, they're going to be looking to break out. Okay. So therefore, if, if, if you realize that, then it really is a good basis for comparison. You have this chain and reggae, they're not like looking to, to, to do a jailbreak. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a muad. It's not looking to do a jailbreak. They're just animals that if they break out, there's a high likelihood that they'll do some damage. Your normal sheep, if it breaks out, it's going to go graze somewhere. Okay, but it's it's not like it's, it's not like it's got a kavana to break free, okay? But so therefore, that's the question. So if this if this is sufficient for an animal that has a propensity to damage if it breaks out, okay, then presumably that should be the same level that you that you ask by assure that's a muad. What is the level of shmir required for an animal that if it were to break out would have a propensity of damaging? So we're saying here that the answer is shmir p'chusa, minimum shmir suffices. So let's take a look. I'm Rav Mani Bar Padi. Man panamuad. Who has taught us at a muad that even though if it breaks out it will be a good likelihood it will cause damage, minimum shmir is enough. Because that's what we're saying right now by Shane and regel. So the Gemara says, Reb Yudahi, it's Reb Nan, because let's look at what we talk about, A sure that's a Karen muad. B'masira, if the owners t- tied it up with a rope, for now the front of Karoy, and they locked it appropriately, there's Yergen Karoy, the Yad and went down and damaged, Muad, Chayi, Re'mir. Says by a Karen Muad, that's not sufficient. Minimum Shmir is not sufficient. You're going to be liable. Rebbe Tam Chayav Mu'apat. Rebbe has that weird inverse position that a Tam, minimum Shmir, you're still Chayav. It's not enough. But a Muad, minimum Shmir, does suffice. Shane'emar, the Lord Yishmirinu and you don't watch it after three times, then you're Chayev. The Shemur, who's that? Once it's considered to be basically Shamur, even at a minimum level, you're exempt. still going by this karen Muad, Elu no, sakin The only way that you can watch an animal once it's a Muad is by killing it. Okay? It's so question whether that means for liability or just a general moral responsibility. Anyway, what we see is of those three Tanayim, the only one that says karen Muad suffices to do Shmir Pusa. Is Rabbi Huda. So should we therefore infer that he, Rabbi Huda is the author of our Mishnah? That it is the same by Karen Muad as by Shane and Regal Muad. That's the question. So the Gemara says, um, uh, "I see a You know what? It could be Rabbi Meir that by Karen, Tom and Muad require a high level. Shane and regel, a lower level would suffice. Why? Shani and Regal da Torah and are different not because of some logic but based on the Pasuk. The Torah made it clear that Shane and regel minimum shmira suffices. Where did the Torah make that clear from? The Abba the, the, um, the, the, Rebbe Lezer because Rebbe Lezer says and some say we teach in a Brita um, um, There are four things that the Torah reduced the amount of shmirah required. Minimize the amount of shmirah required. The Eluhain, these are they, of the age the wrote ashan. No, just think of anybody <laughs> I had <gotta> to do that. <laughs> um, okay okay, of the age Shane for So just think of people paying attention here. Okay. Of um, uh, the pit, the the fire, Shane and Regal. Now by the way, that's a lot. What are the Arbavos Nezikin if you put out Adam Amazis? Boar Aish, Shane, Regel, and Karen. So three out of the four, the Torah said minimum is enough. All those debates that we had in that earlier Mishnah about Karen that maybe you need Shemira Ma'ulam, maybe no Shmirah is ever good enough, that's just debates by Karen. Everything else, minimum Shmirah is okay. Okay, let's take a look how we know it, and then we could ask why. Um, okay, Bo' um... But by the pit, cause it says o if you dig or you uncover and you don't cover it, Haki once you cover it, all says he didn 't cover it, any cover suffices Haki obviously it has to be you know a real cover it has to withstand again Ruach Matsuya, but any minimum cover suffices fire. You should surely pay the one who lights the conflagration. Until you're considered like the one who actually consciously lit it, like as if you torched the place. If you did a minimum shmira, if you're grossly negligent, we say it's like you intentionally did it. Okay? but if you're not, if you did, if you basically removed, you know, gross negligence, you're not like you were actually torched the place. Okay, by the by the tooth. The chiv ubi air it consumes in another field so that idea is like is as if you not just the animal consumed but like you consumed you are so negligent it's like you made it happen okay by regal it says you should send forth and he sends forth the consumer remember we said that that means a regal until it's like you sent the animal consciously to do it you were really negligent okay the Tanya and reminds us of going back to like the way beginning of the mesechet. you send forth your consumer means the Regal the one who sends forth uh, the leg of the ox and the donkey consumes the Hasein that's the tooth until the the thing consumes until completion the only reason you're chayv is if it's like you sent it forth, you made it consumed. Hello, avid, Low. If you didn't, not. Okay. Let's just read to the two and then we'll discuss why the, the logic behind this. Um, okay. Amar um, Rabbah says This also can be inferred from the language of the Mishnah that Shane and Regel is not like Karen, and this lower level of Shmir is specific by Shane and Regel. The timing, because the Mishnah says that you brought your sheep into the pen. Michli, why do we all of a sudden switch from ox to sheep? Okay, Bashur Kaskin and We've been talking about ox for the last 30 days. What are we all of a sudden talking about sheep? Nisni, um, sure, why not talking about locking up your ox? My the why are we talking about sheep because we want to say that the watching of sheep you know it would be true ox two of the Shane and regal of ox but we assert, but classic a sheep is not going in goring sheep is a classic like you know you know concept of Shane and regal um so that um Karen is not written by sheep right it doesn't talk in the Torah about a sheep goring <laughs> it talks about. But a sheep is the animal that goes and eats. So, Kamash Muad, is Shane Varego Muadim who Shane and Rego, although they're Muad, nevertheless, minimum Shmeer is enough. Shmaminad, that is a good inference. So, the only thing you require a high level of Shmeer for is keren. Anything else, once you're not done at minimum, you're exempt. Now, the question is, why? What makes these things different? So, the natural thing to think about is, like, to what degree are you creating a, you know, danger? To society, but that really doesn't make so much sense because if you think about it, like if we think about degree of danger, right? A fire that gets out of hand or a deep well could cause loss of life. You know, at least as much I would imagine as a goring ox. I imagine even oxen that are more to gore are not going ahead and doing it so regularly, right? Like I mean, you don't have like normally they need some provocation. Again, I'm just speaking out of speculation, but that's my sense. Whereas if you think about really a fire or well, that's a real hazard, I mean, that could be a real much bigger, you know, number one, the likelihood that somebody would be injured, the severity of the injury, it's hard to understand why of all, why, why, why the toe would go lighter by that than it would by the washing of your ox. The other thing maybe you could suggest is like I was saying before but I was discounting is that maybe an ox because it's a live being will more try to break through of some type of a shmira. So if it's not just a muad to gore when it sees an animal but it actually has a vicious nature and it's looking like to break through maybe then you could understand why an ox more than a well. Although a fire you know fire is also live in a different way and it's very hard to control a fire. So and even that I don't believe that every ox that's a muad is looking to break through of its you know of its of its canes it's like when it's provoked it'll do something so it's very hard if you were just to base on the propensity and the likelihood and the severity of the damage why you should need more by Karen versus Shane Varegel and everything else I think the answer is probably already in the language of the Gemara the Gemara says that for all of these psukim, it says why well, you need a lower level it says ad-avid ke'en ubi'er ad-avid ke'en v'shilach <laughs> ad-avid you know well by the board doesn't say that but the point being and this gets back to the early questions about you know why you're high when your things go out and damage here the Gemara is conceptualizing it as you know why we make you pay when your animal eats because it's like you did it you know why we make you pay when your fire goes out because it's like you torched the place oh it was an accident I was just having a barbecue I wasn't negligent it doesn't matter you were so negligent it's as if you did it yourself it's as if you sent your animal to do it right so if the model is we have to make it like as if you did it we need a high degree of negligence so why should sure be different Because sure with Kavanah Hazik is the one case where you have something that's defined as an act of Nezek of, of on its own terms. We don't have to ascribe it to you and say it's like you tried to destroy that person's thing. Your animal had the Kavanah Hazik. So it itself was an act of Mazik just in terms of the act the animal was doing. So we basically seems like we're saying is we in order to make somebody pay there has to be something that we can label intentional damage. and An act of Mazik So, in the case of Karen, the uh, the ox did an intentional act of mazik, and you had some degree of fault, maybe you did a minimum shmure, but you had some degree of fault, once you start with an intentional act of mazik, we can make you pay, because you should have, because you didn't do the maximum shmure possible. But by everything else, there was no conscious act of Mazzik, right? Somebody fell into the well, the fire escaped, the animal was just nibbling, you know, it wasn't an act of Mazzik, so to make it an act of Mazzik, there has to be a high degree of negligence that we can say, it says, you are so grossly negligent, it's like you intentionally did it. So that seems to be a very interesting way of getting at this, right? Again, our natural thing, if we, you know, had not been learning bubble Comics, like why should any of this matter? I still don't really understand why, <laughs> you know, you were negligent, we should be looking at the likelihood of damage, the the severity of the injury, how big of a hazard it was, etc. But the Gemara is working with these formal categories, and here it's introducing a new idea. You start with the idea of a -a masamazic, intentional, willful damage. By the Karen, you always have that. So as long as there's a little negligence, we're going to make you pay. By these other things, you don't have that. And therefore, you need high negligence. So it's so negligent, it's as if you wanted it to happen, as if you did it. So that's the sort of approach I would take on this combined. Yeah? yeah.
1: Like with the Kisui, you know, if the the, camels are common and and stuff like that. It it seemed like that was talking about gross negligence. It was sort of like. You, know, you have to use basic common
0: sense like... Uh, right, meaning maybe I'm a little overstating about gross negligence, but still, yeah. it's negligent as opposed to, you know, there's this range between negligence, so I'm no longer negligent. You're right, maybe I'm a little overstating by using the word gross negligence, but, but, but there's a range between I'm not negligent, but I'm not really being totally, you know, being... being, uh, being right, right, right meaning... Yeah. The, yeah, right, meaning... The, like, Karoy Kuroi maybe gets beyond just gross negligence, And I'm not really negligent, but I'm still not being totally protect, totally preventing things from happening. I'm not being as careful as I could be, okay? All right, so yeah, I might have overstayed a little with the word gross negligence. All right, so let's continue. Now we move on to another sort of fascinating thing, which, as you'll see, is. Indirectly connected to the Mishnah. Tanya, we I'm Yeshua. Four things. Somebody who does them is exempt from, uh, you know, from a human court and liable up in heaven. Which you know understands mean. I mean, you could make that, make that as a total theological statement. God will pay you back. But it's also a question about like you know. It's a way of saying that there's actually some moral responsibility, and it does become an interesting question. Like, does can that translate into if I want to get out of my of Shammai, and maybe the way I do it is by paying you back for what I've done to you, right? Does that create a sense of a practical, religious, slash moral responsibility to rectify, you know, even here on this earth? Okay? What are they? The Elohein, these are they. Somebody who breaks the fence in front of your friend's animal, so that's going to the Mishnah, right? By the least team who breaks the fence, and then presumably the animal goes out and gets lost. So, say, I don't do anything. Okay, I'll pay you back for your fence, you know? I didn't actually see Heal your animal, I didn't injure your animal. I'm just a grummer, so you're put to adam. Okay, or there's a fire, and you basically you just push somebody's uh, you know haystack in front of a you know a, a sheath of grain in front of the fire, and then the fire comes ten minutes later and destroys it. Like I didn't destroy it; I just you know moved it into the street. Okay, so the so ate a So somebody who hires false witnesses—it's pretty interesting, right? The witnesses themselves. Are the person who hires the false witnesses actually there's no way you can sue them okay well you know I mean it's uh, you know what I'm talking about so what? I paid them money was their decision to actually do it you know um, this one is the big, maybe the biggest Kiddush because it's the most passive um, you know testimony that can help your friend in a court and you don't come and testify so just the passive withholding of information that could help somebody is a I mean it's funny it's a there's a chay evidine shamayim.
1: that you can uh uh, if
0: somebody comes and makes you take a no. Yeah, yeah. right? So that that's if somebody actually made you take a shruva to come and do it. But anyway, but there might be some religious fault. You might transgress some iser, but you can't be sued for compensation. Mm-hmm. The part of be here, we're talking totally in a bubble comma context. Can I seek compensation yeah. for the loss that this person has caused me? Right. But that's a good point. Meaning some of these things, you know, maybe you're over in some iser, you know, you know. But we're talking. Here about the compensation question. So let's take a look at the Gemara. Amar what's the case? That if you break the fence, you're going to be, to be it's a strong fence, you also be b'chayef by Deine adam. We'll get back to that in a minute. Ela reuah, it must be a weak fence. Now, why are you Chayev for a strong fence? So, you look at Rashi, what does Rashi say why you're Chayev? Rashi says, Four lines, three lines on the bottom. Rashi says, "Bari mia um, akotel." You should at least have to pay for breaking the fence. You did it with directly. So why the word puter means you're putter on everything? Okay, so you're not putter on everything. It was a strong fence. At least pay for the fence. the But Rashi says you can't say that if you broke a strong fence, you're high for the behema. That's non partuah, says that's that's why we're mentioning this discussion because the mission discusses breaking a fence and it says that the least are potter, so Razi says the only thing you're high for is for the fence now there are two other opinions in Rishonim that, 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 that go against this one is, a toad, not here but elsewhere, says you are chayev for the loss of the animal, but not, how does it work with the Mishnah? Because the Mishnah says the listim are not if the animal wanders off and gets lost. The list are for the nezek that the animal does. They're not the owners of the animal to be chayev for the nezek unless they physically take possession. But if the animal wanders off and gets lost, maybe you would be Chayiv. Now, it's not exactly clear. Okay, you could make that distinction. Yes, this doesn't contradict the Mishnah. The Mishnah is talking about Chayiv for damage that it does. This could be talking you your Chayiv for if it gets lost. But it doesn't explain what the basis of the Chayiv is. What do you mean? I'm not a Mazik. I'm not a Ganiv. Why am I That You think it's a grama. I indirectly caused it, right? So it's not easy to understand what the conceptual basis. Forget the problem of the Mishnah. Forget the Mishnah. If it means you're Chayiv for the lost animal, right? Again, why is this not just your classic grama Okay, so that again explains why Rashi would say it's talking about the fence. Rambam, and there's actually a tshuva of the Rambam on this question, just to show you know that sometimes the Rambam wrote, you wrote about, you know, purely, I mean, I don't know how many people were poskining this, but it was like, there's actually, a, I think it's the Chachmei Lunil, because the Rambam says, high for the Nezek, the animal does, when it's a good fence. And the people said, how could you say that? The Mishnah says it's the Lishim And the Rambam basically says that the answer, he says this in a tshuva, is, is that the answer is, a that whether the least him are trying whether you're trying to have the animal go and do damage if I just break the fence cuz I don't know I'm trying to steal your animal whatever I'm doing I'm trying to get into your place and incidentally the animal goes off and does damage it's not my animal I'm not high for the damage it does but if I break your fence because I want it to go ahead and damage somebody else's property then I am actually high for the damage that it does now again it's not exactly understood clear why is that an adam hamazik? It's a grama. Am I an owner of the animal? Yes, I didn't take possession. What I was just thinking, but you
1: have that kavana.
0: You want to use the you want the animals to perform an act for you. Right. The, you become you like know. the owner of it's it. Right. So that could be. That seems to be the idea behind the Rambam. What type? Because you don't have to be the property owner of an animal. Remember, a shomer is high for the nezek. A of is high for the nezek. Right. Now all of those do an act that's considered taking possession of the thing. Not taking ownership or taking possession. When you break the fence, you don't take possession. But is the very constructing of the situation and desire to use it to damage somebody else, like a type of a, it's my animal for Nezek. And you're high for the Nezek. So that is how the Rambam reads this. Okay, but again, Rashi reads it very narrowly. You're just high for the wall. So the answer is, it's a rickety wall. It's a rickety wall, there's no chiyah for breaking it. It wasn't worth anything anyway. And in terms of the other approaches, it was such a rickety wall that the animal could have broken through on its own, so you didn't really create the opportunity for the animal to get lost or to damage, because the animal could have easily just broken through on its own. What?
1: No, I like okay. that right. first.
0: So Rahua. Rahua. Rickety. Okay. All right. Let us just go go three more lines to the dots. Amar Mah, Hakov Komosu Shokabik Seyad Lakeahidami. What's the case? That you're exempt in Dine Adam and Hybedini Shabbat if you put the sort of sheath in front of the um sheaf sheaf. Sheaf in front of the fire. So I lema the matya that you put it by a fire and the fire is gonna reach it in a that good old Ruach mitzuya, So it's expected that the fire will reach it. So you should also be Chai Ferdine Adam. Because now we'll discuss why in a minute. Okay, you put it in front of a fire. It was unlikely the fire would reach it, but lo and behold, it did. So therefore, you're not Chai but you're Chai B'dine Shamayim. Ravashi says, No, no, no. The case here is not a case of making the fire burn it, it's of burying it. you <inaudible> made it something buried in the fire. What does that mean? We're gonna learn later in this parak that if a fire uh, burn something down and burn something that was hidden like not exposed that the owner of the fire is exempt. So here you go. So you know David's fire is breaking out into Hanan's yard. It's about to burn down Hanan's uh, uh, grain. you know uh, piles of grain and I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't like Hanan so much but I really like David. So what I do is I take a blanket and I throw it over Hanan's piles of grains. so now David's fire burns it down and you don't have to pay it because it was all and it was all buried. I allowed it to be in that loophole of, of liability. So in that case, Hanan lost out on his being being compensated because I did this tovah and I put it under a blanket. So that would be the case of Khaibidian Batubidinishimayim. I just want to say one thing though about the Matya Baruch Mitsuya. If I go ahead and I take your you know uh, uh, sheaf of wheat and I put it in front of a fire that's burning and it's going to get here in five minutes and it's definitely going to get here and the marriage says I'm Chayev. What category Category, am I high for? Like, what type of an act was that? Am I high because of age? Am I high because of Adam hamazic what, what would you think? You understand the scenario? I take your thing... I take your uh, sheaf of grain and I put it and there's a fire over there and the wind is blowing it and it's going to get here in five minutes and I put it here and I walk away and five minutes later the, 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 the fire burns it down and the Gemara says I'm Chayev. What am I Chayev for? Didn't yeah, I didn't do anything. I mean I put it there I walked away so it was going to be a Ruach Metsuya. Mm-hmm. Okay so I would say you're Chayev for Adam I would say you put it in the scenario which is about to sort of it's like you directly destroyed it mm-hmm. right but Toso seems to think and then it becomes interesting questions about would you be high for Ritzicha right there's a Gemara that says if you tie somebody up in front of a fire and the fire kills them, you're not high for Ritzicha. So Torah says that's only if the person was already there and you just stopped them from moving. But if you actually bounce somebody up, it's like the old, like the guy, you know, the dastardly guy puts them on the train tracks. you'd die, if somebody was already on the train tracks and you stopped them from moving, you'd be butter because you just kept the situation. But if you put someone on the train tracks and the train came, that would be like an act of Ritzicha. So it's not that you're high for Eish, it's that then you, by putting somebody, actively putting, putting them in the scenario where now something is about and definitely going to happen, it's like you directly threw them in the fire. But that's interesting, right? Whether this touch sort of plays with that question, would that be a type of a high for aish or would you be high for an utter mamazic? I think it would clearly be an automamazic okay <laughs> when, when